Welcome to the East Asia Hotspots podcast, where we invite you to join us for chats with experts and scholars from around the world to talk about contemporary issues in East Asia. I'm the lead facilitator, Richard Haddock, with the George Washington University. Support of this podcast comes from the U.S. Department of Education's Title VI grant for East Asian Studies at the George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. Our partners at the Elliott School that help make this podcast happen are the Seeger Center for Asian Studies and the GW Institute for Korean Studies. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of the speakers alone and do not reflect the position of the NRC. Through these podcasts, we want to encourage dialogue about diverse perspectives in East Asian studies. Check out our website at nrc.elliot.gwu.edu for all our podcast episodes and info about East Asian studies at the George Washington University. Now, let's start the conversation. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the East Asia Hotspots podcast. I'm Richard Haddock here with another very special guest, Professor Duke Sheen, who's the director of the Walter H. Shorenstein Asia Pacific Research Center, the William J. Perry Professor of Contemporary Korea, the founding director of the Korea program, which, by the way, celebrates its 20th anniversary this May, a senior fellow of the Freeman Spokely Institute for International Studies, and a professor of sociology, all at Stanford University. As a historical comparative and political sociologist, his research has concentrated on social movements, nationalism, development, and international relations. Dr. Shane is the author, editor of more than 20 books and numerous articles. His recent books include The North Korean Conundrum, Balancing Human Rights and Nuclear Security, and Demographics and Innovation in the Asia Pacific. He has a forthcoming book edited with Ho Hee Kim on South Korea's democracy and crisis, the threats of illiberalism, populism, and polarization. Dr. Shin is now working on a new research initiative seeking to examine potential benefits of talent flows in the Asia-Pacific region, where countries, cities, and corporations have competed with one another to enhance their stock of brain power. Dr. Shin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. So diving in, we want to talk about uh, South Korea's democracy, in particular, democratic t- decay. Your forthcoming book and your 2020 article on democratic decay explores several internal and external threats to democratic processes, values, and society in South Korea. Could you give us an overview of what is democratic decay and how it plays out in the South Korean context? Who are the main players involved? And what is the extent to which you see democratic decay across the region? So thank you again for having me to talk about uh, this important and timely issue. I have had many ties with uh, GW, and it's my real pleasure to be here today with you. You know, go back to uh, March of 2017, uh, about this time five years ago. At the time, President Park Geun-hye was impeached on the charge of uh, power abuse. It's the first time uh, for Korea that had any president impeached. And then uh, Korea had a snap election. They elected Moon Jae-in as new president. 
And there was a political crisis after impeachment. But then uh, with Moon Jae-in, many people, including myself, had high expectation for him and his people to restore or even upgrade Korean democracy. After all, Moon Jae-in was a human rights lawyer, and he had a policy experience as a major policy advisor to late President Noh Moo-hyun in early 2000s. Unfortunately, what we saw once he's in power didn't go as well as we expected. On the contrary, it went uh, the opposite way. And in his inauguration speech, Moon Jae-in promised equal opportunities, fair process, and just outcomes. However, he and his people uh, defined his regime as sort of a social revolution and acted in such a way. Especially what really disappointed me the most was that uh, they were demonizing and punishing the opponent as evil. And certainly, you know, Korea was a democratic country, but then under the rule of law, a lot of uh, democratic norms and practices were being undermined. So about uh, three years ago, I began to uh, speak out that uh, Korean democracy was not advancing, but rather backsliding. That's why I wrote a major article in Korean Monthly magazine and then uh, revised and expanded into an article at Journal of Democracy and then organized conference and producing a book that you just mentioned with my uh, longtime friend and colleague, Kim Hogi from uh, Yonsei University. As the subtitles of the book uh, indicate, we identify the three main threats to Korean uh, democracy that can explain uh, democratic uh, decay. Okay, one is uh, illiberalism. Certainly, uh, Korea is a democratic country, but I'm not sure whether it is a liberal democracy. At best, it may be a majoritarian rule. There is much uh, respect for different views and certainly a lack of uh, mutual tolerance. Probably some of you know quite a well-known book by Yascha Munk, uh, The People vs. Democracy. There he talked about an illiberal you know, democracy. And I think you know, Korea certainly is you know, showing characteristics of illiberal democracy. The other one, uh, you know, populism. Moon Jae-in uh, government took very anti-establishment uh, stance. And once again, under their rhetoric, they were demonizing and attacking the opponent as evil. And they led a well-known campaign to eradicate a deep-rooted evil. And they even uh, established uh, committees for almost all ministry to identify uh, those evil and punish. Okay, third, uh, as a result, Korea society has become highly polarized by generation, you know, by gender, by ideology. It's just basically us versus them. It's very hard to engage any rational discussions. In our country, we say that uh, we agree to disagree. But I don't think uh, that's happening in Korea. 
And especially what is really uh, unusual for Korea is that democratic norms and practices, okay, they were undermined by former democratic activists. Okay, they were good at fighting for democracy, but certainly not at practicing democracy. So this is like an overall background why I was uh, arguing that uh, Korean democracy is backsliding, you know, why I have a lot of concerns about the future of Korean democracy. Thank you for that. And actually tying into your the last point on polarization and turning to the recent presidential elections, it was an incredibly close race that reflects a divided country according to polls. 48.56% of ballots went to the conservative candidate, now president-elect, Yoon Suk-yeol, and his rival, Lee Jae-myung, of the ruling Democratic, or well, once ruling Democratic Party, garnered 47.83%. The race itself was marked by scandals, negative campaigns, corruption charges, personal rumors, on top of other urgent policy issues such as domestic housing, the pandemic, global security issues. In your view, how has a democratic decay played out in this election and exacerbated these three elements you mentioned about the liberalism, populism, and polarization? So I think what you saw in this election, you know, well illustrates Korean democracy in crisis. As you mentioned, the campaign was highly negative. There wasn't much uh, discussion about major policy issues. You know, Korea has having a lot of uh, challenges. Domestically, since they are dealing with uh, COVID-19, you know, you know, housing price and, you know, economic inequalities in terms of, you know, foreign policy, you know, alliance, relations with Japan, uh, North Korea, China, and so on. But there wasn't much, uh, you know, discussion about those policy issues. But rather, okay, both sides, Okay, both Lee and Yoon, they engage in a highly negative campaign, okay, attacking not only the candidate, but also, you know, family members. You know, some of you uh, may be following a Korean election, and you may notice that a spouse of neither, okay, Lee or Yoon, joined the campaign. They made apology and basically disappeared from the campaign. I haven't seen that uh, in any democratic society or any, you know, in democratic in, a, in a Korea, you know, in the past. So I think, you know, for me, this election in Korea reminds me of U.S. election in this country in 2020. You know, you may remember that there wasn't really much a discussion about policy, but rather, are you for Trump, you know, or anything but Trump? You know, we know that you know Biden was able to lead the coalition of anti-Trump forces and won the election. I think what happened in Korea was very similar. You know, Yoon Song Yeol. I mean, he entered uh, politics only last summer. He was a career uh, prosecutor, and actually, he was appointed by President Moon Jae-in as prosecutor general. But then he led a coalition of anti-Moon or anti-Lee, anti-Democratic Party, you know, you know, in the forces, and won with a very thin margin. So basically, during a uh, you know, campaign, the main line of debate was, do you want a regime change 
or you want it to continue. You know, once again, there's no other, you know, major uh, debate or discussion on policy issues. So that's why uh, when I began to speak out about uh, democratic decay, you know, three years ago, I warned that uh, unless, uh, you know, Korea can improve democratic, uh, you know, norms and spirits, and, you know, Korean democracy will continue to backslide. At the time, you know, I said that uh, it's almost like a light reason that, you know, soaks you before even you notice. So probably three years, it's almost like a light you know, drizzle. But I feel like uh, during election, the light drizzle has become almost like shower. And I think now Korean democracy is really on the line. So what impact uh, will this recent presidential election have on the health of democracy within South Korea to expand on the, the point you just made with domestic uh, socio-political issues, including gender equality, housing access, economic and education opportunities. Can we expect more backsliding or what would it take to encourage democratic rebuilding? So I think that really depends on how now, you know, Mr. Noon uh, can bring uh, national unity and how, you know, his regime and opposition party, the Democratic Party, who actually controls the National Assembly, you know, they can work, you know, together. Because once again, you know, Korean society is highly divided, you know, really divided. And then once again, opposition controls the National Assembly. So it's easily, I mean, it's easy to expect uh, more tensions and fighting between both sides, even after Mr. Yoon takes office. But at the same time, I'd like to mention maybe like three good news from this election. And one is, uh, unlike uh, in this country in 2020, Mr. Lee Jae-myung, he conceded uh, his defeat uh, immediately without leaving any doubt on the outcome of the election. You know, I think that's a very positive sign. The second one, Najimeno, the opposition party, they really uh, kind of promoting identity politics, especially anti-feminism. That was really disturbing, but it didn't really work out. So I'm very glad to see that that strategy didn't work out. I think that's a good news. The third one, you know, Yun Sung Nyeol, president-elect, you know, he has no uh, political depth because uh, he is a political novice. So some people may say he doesn't have any political experience. There might be his liability. At the same time, he can carry out uh, real democratic reform if he really wanted to do. And also, this election actually, I think, uh, sent in a very clear warning message to both sides. As you talked about, the margin was very thin. Okay, it's less than okay, 1%. You know, it's only over a little bit of uh, 200,000 votes. In my view, okay, that means that, uh, sure, you know, Korean voters, they supported okay, regime change. You know, they wanted to make a strong signal to the ruling party that uh, they really, you know, haven't fulfilled promise or the mandate to reform and upgrade Korean democracy. 
But at the same time, I think it's a warning to new governments. Unless you perform in democratic way, okay, then you may lose again five years later. Okay, so in the democratic era, uh, until now, usually either progressive or conservative, okay, they stay in power for 10 years okay, to president. And no Teo Kim Young-sam, and then Kim Dae-jung, and uh, No Mo-hyun, and then Lee Byung-bak and Park Geun-hye. But this time, Democratic Party, the progressive, okay, they will be leaving power only after five years. So in my view, you know, Korean voters uh, sent a very clear uh, warning to both sides. So that I hope that uh, both ruling and opposition, conservative and progressive, they can work together to save uh, Korean democracy. One of the ongoing issues in politics around the world is the COVID-19 pandemic. South Korea implemented strong pandemic control mechanisms developed in part by a previous experience addressing the 2003 SARS and 2015 MERS outbreaks. Uh, however, more recently, South Korea is experiencing an upsurge in COVID cases. Uh, I'm wondering if you saw how the, the ongoing pandemic might have affected democratic governance in South Korea in general and how that came across also in the recent presidential elections. So as you know, you know, Korea was, you know, very good in containing, you know, virus. And I think Korea had, you know, very low death compared to other countries. And about two years ago, actually, you know, government's uh, performance in handling COVID-19, that worked in favor of the ruling party. I mean, that's one reason why they were able to win over opposition. And, you know, this time, uh, also, you know, Korean election uh, proceeded uh, quite smoothly, even with a surging uh, number of uh, COVID-19. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people, especially uh, small to medium business in Korea, okay, they are, you know, major uh, component of the Korean economy. They suffered a lot. And also, uh, even though... Uh, Korean government was effective in containing virus. A lot of citizens, they had to sacrifice their privacy. They had to compromise. So I think uh, this COVID-19 is still ongoing issue in Korea. It's not over yet. And when the new government comes in, I think they will focus more on the business side uh, and then try to recover Korean economy from the pandemic. It's my understanding that uh, there will be a special committee within the transition team to deal with uh, COVID-19. So, you know, once again, uh, overall, uh, I feel like uh, Korea has been able to handle pretty well, but at the same time, at the expense of, you know, privacy and small to medium business. And the new government really have to make more balance and has to recover economy from the pandemic. Another global element of geopolitics, but also the elections here, is, is foreign policy. And foreign policy continues to be a hotly debated issue in South Korea. Actually, some of your more recent work looks at public opinion polls and, and public sentiment in South Korea regarding the United States and China uh, and Japan and others. Uh, so how has foreign policy and, and security issues 
such as South Korea's relations with the U.S., China, and also North Korea, affected or played into this recent election? At this time, foreign policy wasn't much an issue. In the past, probably like North Korea has been an important issue. And you know, this time, uh, North Korea wasn't much an issue during campaign. Maybe now Koreans are so used to North Korean uh, challenge, and you know, as you know, you know, North Korea kept testing missiles during campaign, but it was much an issue. But rather, I think one thing I noticed, also as you mentioned, is the rise of uh, anti-China sentiment during uh, Winter Olympics uh, in Beijing. There's some controversy over Korean traditional costume in a hanbok. Or, you know, some other issue. And then, you know, you know, Korean public turned very negative against China. And both uh, leading candidates, Lee and Yoon, joined the critical chorus in condemning, uh, you know, China. And in our survey, in other survey, now Koreans' uh, negative view of China actually is higher than Korean negative view of Japan. That's very unusual because uh, anti-Japanese sentiment has been always you know, higher than you know, any other view you know, you know, of other countries. So probably you know, anti-China sentiment has made some impact uh, on the election. But I think uh, that will be a major policy challenge for the new government, in my view, because now election is over and now you have to deal with you know, reality because uh, China is still you know, very important for Korea or South Korea as a major uh, economic partner, okay? So you can't really ignore or downplay the importance of China to South Korea. But at the same time, the public sentiment is highly negative against China. And you have to address uh, public sentiment into your policy and politics. And ongoing uh, tension between U.S. and China. There will be a growing pressure for South Korea to take the side. Okay, until now, you know, Korea has been maintaining strategic ambiguity. So they're saying, you know, United States for security, China for economy. But that paradigm may not be working anymore. So in my view, okay, dealing with China will be a major policy challenge for new South Korean government. Another uh, major geopolitical issue right now that's capturing global attention is the Ukraine crisis. And President-elect Yoon said at a presidential debate last month that, as we have seen in Ukraine, a country's national security and peace cannot be protected by paper and ink. How do you see the uh, Ukraine crisis uh, factoring in or developing in political discourse in South Korea? And does that prioritize or, or give a certain urgency to security issues? I think that's a uh, you know, very good question. And I think in my view, the impact of uh, Ukraine crisis on Korean security policy is rather indirect. I don't think you know, many Korean people really understand what is going on in Ukraine. It's a little you know, far away from uh, their country. But I think uh, there are two points uh, that may have some merits uh, to consider. One is this uh, Ukraine crisis confirmed a belief held by many Korean people that China and Russia, they are authoritarian and cannot be trusted. 
So they might you know, amplify or reinforce anti-China or anti-Russia sentiment in Korea. Secondly, they may also confirm the importance of the alliance with the United States. And the, president, uh, the new government uh, will emphasize more on the alliance with the United States. So I think overall, the Ukraine crisis may mean that uh, Korea will be closer to the United States, maybe a little away from China and or Russia. Just to round us out before we uh, start to conclude the conversation, and going back to your to our earlier part about democratic decay, what do you see as, as the state of democracies uh, in the region? Curious to hear your thoughts on this because uh, South Korea and Taiwan and others in the region have spent much of the second half of the 20th century undergoing uh, democratic transformation from periods of authoritarian suppression and seeing where democracies are now, whether some are backsliding or leaning forward in certain directions. What's your overall take about the state of democracies in the region? A lot of uh, people, uh, including my colleague uh, at Stanford, uh, they've been talking about sort of uh, democratic uh, depression globally. So, you know, so in my article, I've been saying that uh, Korea is not an uh, exception. And, you know, you know, following this global tide of uh, democratic uh, erosion, and especially maybe in Asia, I mean, you can see rise of, uh, you know, nationalism in China, you know, in Japan, and also, you know, backsliding of democracy in, in the Philippines and in India and so on. So you know, certainly uh, I've been studying, you know, Korea for a long time. Then I'm very critical of Korea, but, you know, Korea may not be only exception. I studied Korea. I grew up in Korea. I live in the United States for a long time. Right now, I see a lot of parallel between uh, Korea and United States in terms of uh, undermining uh, democratic norms and, and spirits, and then you know polarization of Korean and American society. So, you know, certainly it's important uh, to understand Korea from more comparative or global perspective. That's a great uh, actually segue to our last question or topic, which is for those who'd like to learn more about democratic development, decay, or depression uh, in South Korea and in other places worldwide, do you have recommendations on uh, related resources, organizations, or opportunities? Let me say uh, what uh, we have been doing uh, at Stanford, because you know, my argument is not really you know, new, because at Stanford, uh, we led uh, Korean Democracy Project for a long time. And actually, uh, some of my uh, graduate students wrote a dissertation actually based on data collected through Korean Democracy Project. And, you know, we had a uh, you know, grant uh, from, you know, Korean Academy of Korean Studies to publish uh, six books on Korean democracy. And I was main editor uh, of the series. And also, as you mentioned, a new book uh, will be coming out next month addressing the main threat to Korean democracy and how we can address you know, those uh, threats to you know, advance uh, in a Korean democracy. So I think uh, if you are really interested more on Korean democracy, it's uh, 
origins or evolution or challenges, you can come to you know our website. And one thing I like to you know mention is that I will be writing sort of an article how for major Korean monthly magazine, and I'm, I like to address some main discourse on Korea, and you know we plan to translate get that into uh, you know English. So. At the sum of points that I addressed today uh, will be uh, written uh, through that through the venue. And my final point is that during this election, you know, I had a lot of interviews with the rest of the media. One thing uh, I thought very interesting was that uh, you know many uh, European kind of uh, liberal magazines, like a Spiegel of Germany or New Statements of the UK, you know, Guardian, okay, they contact me for interview. So certainly, you know, they are really paying attention to the status and the future of Korean democracy. So once again, you know, I have a lot of concern with the current state of Korean democracy. And I've been quite critical because I care about Korea a lot because once again, I was born and grew up in Korea. I really wanted to advance or, you know, help to advance Korean democracy. So, you know, I've been very critical of uh, the Moon Jae-in regime, but it wasn't really political or partisan critique. You know, I will be also taking a critical view of the new government. So, if they don't, you know, you know, work to you know advance Korean democracy, I will be sharing my critical voice, you know, as well. I think, in conclusion, you know, Korea has achieved a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I feel that Korean democracy is underlying, and we have to pay close attention to that. And then as an intellectual, we have to make a critical voice. That's an excellent way to round out our interview. Thanks so much for Dr. Sheen for your excellent analysis, uh, sometimes sobering <laughs> remarks about the state of democracy, but also lights of optimism in places where we can dig in and uh, rebuild. So thank you so much for joining us for our interview, and we'd love to uh, have you back anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening in to our podcast episode. For more information about this episode and all our other episodes, be sure to check out our website at nrc.elliot.gwu.edu and subscribe to our email list to get the latest on upcoming episodes. If you have a recommendation on a topic or expert to interview for a future podcast episode, please send us your ideas via email to gweanrc at gwu.edu. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors for all their support in making this podcast happen. But most importantly, we want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Until next time.